welcome to the Inner Healing Academy. I'm Kim Benson, and I'm delighted to be starting a new interview series, interviewing visionaries and leaders in the field of holistic health. So we'll be looking at the mind-body-spirit connection. And my very first guest is Dr. Will Tuttle, the author of The World Peace Diet. And I'm so excited that he is my first guest because he, his work fits in perfectly with what I'm trying to do here through these interviews. Now, his book is far more than a diet book. It deals with the whole culture of eating and how it impacts not only our physical, but also our spiritual, mental, um, emotional health and the ramifications that that has for social harmony. So it is far reaching. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Dr. Tuttle's work, I'm just going to read a short bio for you. So Dr. Tuttle has been a vegan since 1980, and he's a frequent radio, television, and online presenter. He's created several wellness and advocacy training programs and has been featured in Cowspiracy and other documentary films. In addition to being the author of The World Peace Diet, he is the editor of Buddhism and Veganism, which is a collection of essays on spiritual awakening and animal liberation. Dr. Tuttle is a former Zen monk with a PhD from the University of California, Berkeley. Since 1985, Dr. Tuttle has delivered an unparalleled 4,000 plus live audience presentations, encouraging compassion and vegan living in over 50 countries and in all 50 US states. Now I'm going to put links to his publications, his book and his website in the description below. So welcome Dr. Tuttle, I'm so pleased to have you as my first guest. And I wonder if we could start off um, by looking at the time when you decided to reconsider your diet. I know that you were raised like the rest of us on the standard Western diets with meat and dairy products, but there came a point in your life when you questioned this. Perhaps you could take up the story from there and lead us on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kim. Uh, it's great to be able to share like this and thank you everyone for uh, listening and uh, yeah, regarding your, your question, <clears throat> so uh, it was really right after for me, it was right after college when I left home, actually, for, with my younger brother, Ed, we, the two of us, we were in our early 20s. Uh, we decided that uh, it seemed to be uh, really not a good idea to just go right into looking for work and trying to survive financially and we wanted to take some time to uh, understand ourselves more deeply and to uh, travel. And so uh, we started reading uh, some spiritual books on meditation and yoga and had the idea that we would just do a pilgrimage and walk across the country to California. And so that's what we did. We started off and we were walking. We left home. We were in Massachusetts, so near Boston. Mm -hmm. And uh, we walked for uh, quite a few months, first going west and then heading south. And we ended up uh, eventually walking all the way to Alabama. And on the way, we uh, went uh, for a while. As we went through Tennessee, we stopped 
at a community called The Farm, which in 1975 was the largest hippie commune in the world. About 900 people were living there, mostly from California. And they were all, uh, they said, vegetarians. Right. Uh, they were actually vegans in the sense that they didn't eat meat, as you were saying, or dairy products or eggs. And they were really doing it for ethical reasons. So they were basically what we would call today vegans. But the word vegan was uh, just no one knew that word back in 1975. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, they said we're vegetarians and up until that point i had done a little bit of cons considering and questioning food but it was mainly something that uh wasn't that important we thought other things were much more important than food but when i was with these people and they were eating a totally plant-based diet and they had about 200 children that were vegan from birth and they were all thriving. They were healthy. They were mostly young people mm -hmm. and uh, just doing great. So that was when I really reconsidered the whole thing. And uh, I asked them why they were vegetarians. And they told me the two main reasons. One was that most of the grain that we grow and the food that we grow in the world, you know, we're feeding to animals while people are starving and that kind of injustice that those who are eating meat and dairy products are taking most of the grain and water and petroleum and land and eating sort of high off the hog while other people are starving. And they were talking about how most of the war really comes from food shortages. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to create a more peaceful world. And so they were eating lower on the food chain so there would be enough food for everyone to eat. I really liked that idea. Yeah. And then they also informed me a little bit more clearly about the routine abuse of animals for food. And mm -hmm. that sort of opened a whole uh, new doorway of understanding. So the, up, until, uh, up until that time, you didn't know about that? Right. I think I was like most people in our society. I, I knew that the animals were killed. If I'm eating a hamburger or a hot dog, I knew there was a dead pig or a dead cow. Mm -hmm. I had been on a summer camp for a few years and actually killed you know, we would all you know kill our own animals kill our own chickens we would kill a cow every year so i actually even participated so i knew but it's very easy to just not think about it and not really think about the routine mutilation and hyper confinement and just the terrible terrible abuse that these animals endure so uh, they talked about that actually. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, you're right. And, but they, I think the most important thing really was just the, their positive example. You know, it was the mm -hmm. positive, joyful way they were living and the delicious food. And I didn't, it wasn't an option. I couldn't eat meat or dairy. We were all eating together. And if you wanted to eat, this is what you ate. <laughs> right, right. You could see that they were healthy even though they weren't eating meat and they were getting all of their protein. <laughs> I could see that, right. Yeah, and I could yeah. ask him the questions like, you know, where do you get your protein? And they, they kind of laughed and said, oh, of course, back then, uh, you know, everybody ate a lot of soybeans. So they were making a lot of tofu and eating soybeans. And, mm. and it was very beginning. It was kind of primitive in a way. We were living, just cooking on wood stoves. It was very, just like camping, really. And, and um, but you're right. It was uh, a beautiful example of how they were living and raising their children. And it was very idealistic. Mm. And uh, I'm so glad that I ended up there. And that changed. I've never eaten meat in my life since that day. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, just um, five years later, I learned more about dairy and egg production and leather production and all that other stuff. So I became a vegan five years later in 1980. So that's about 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that was a little more, as it is for many people, I think it was a little bit more gradual. It was kind of letting go of, of uh 
you know, wool and leather and, and mm -hmm. meat, and, excuse mm -hmm. me, dairy, eggs. Yeah. But it was right, it was in 1980 that I, I thought, you know, I don't want to support any part of this industry. Yes. So you were on a journey then, and it took a few years to, to unfold um, all the ramifications of this new way of eating. Yes. Okay. And you know that eventually you ended up in Korea and you spent some time as a Zen monk in a monastery there. Um, can you tell us more about that experience? How did that influence your spiritual path? And how did veganism um, come into all of that? Right, yeah, that really was a very um, uh, striking experience because I, I was already, a, I was kind of a new vegan when I went there. And when I was in Korea, I didn't really know what to expect. I wasn't sure, you know, what they would do. But I, I was, I just loved the fact that it was just how it had been for about seven or 800 years, ever since the monastery started way back in the year 1100 or 1200, whatever it was, uh, it had always been totally plant-based, a vegan. I mean, in the sense that uh, there was no animal-based foods, uh, all the clothing was free of, of leather or wool or silk or anything like that. Um, the whole way of living was based on non-harmfulness. We would never uh, kill any mosquitoes or ant, you know, bugs or animals or anything like that. The whole idea was to practice uh, nonviolence and compassion for all life. Mm. And it was sort of built into uh, the way we conducted ourselves, the meditation, the food. So it was a very seamless kind of holistic approach to living that emphasized uh, really, I would say, minimalism, you know, simplicity. We, mm. we had one set of clothes and, you know, that's what we wore, <laughs> mm. you know, and we would wash it and that you know we didn't it was it was very you know you had you had one set of bowls you had um ch chopsticks and a spoon and that was like all that's all you you owned I mean that was it you know you didn't have anything else and <clears throat> the idea was the, to live life as uh, a practice of letting go a practice of you know the opposite of consuming you know really just to let go of accumulation to let go of of pride and uh, of, of competition, uh, to practice patience and uh, respect and kindness and inclusion for others, never to take more than you need, uh, not to waste anything. You couldn't, I mean, it was so neat how you, you know, you, you absolutely, at every meal, you could take how much you wanted, but then you had to eat it. You could never th just eat, take some food and then throw it away. That was completely impossible. Yeah. So, uh, so it was really about uh, for me, you know, just walking the talk in such a deep way that had been ingrained for, you know, literally for many centuries. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to the United States, I felt that uh, I, my, the veganism was on a sort of whole different level. I realized it's not an option. Like, well, I could be a vegan if I want or not. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's not an option. It's, mm -hmm. it's just who we are as human beings, the you way felt, we are, if we're going to live yeah. in any uh, way on this earth. Uh, with uh, any sense of um, maturing as a, a human being to mm -hmm. create a world of, of harmony in some way. There's no, it's no way we can be violating animals, destroying ecosystems and, and being uh, wasteful of things. Mm -hmm. so, so that, that whole system was like a, a holistic approach. It wasn't just the food you were eating. It was, it yeah. was everything. 
um, as you say, not being wasteful, being mindful of what the earth is producing for us and, um, you know, being careful with that. So, yeah, that, that holistic approach is really what veganism is truly about, isn't it? It's a full lifestyle, not just the diet. And you experienced that there at that monastery. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Exactly. And it was, uh, of course, it was intensive uh, meditation practice. There was no such thing as you know, having a television to be entertained. We would get up at, and start the first meditation at three o'clock in the morning and go through until nine o'clock at night. And it was mm. a lot, a lot of silence, a lot of just, mm. just sitting in silence and, 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 and connecting within. Uh, and, and, and all relations were based on uh, respect and love, you know, really, I mean, really doing the best we could to, to, yeah. to, to live that way. It's not always easy when you have a bunch of people living together in kind of mm. close quarters, but mm-hmm. I it was very, uh, very touched by how people really tried to do that and, mm. and how there was this group energy uh, of um, working together, very community oriented of co-op- cooperation. I mean, I, that was the big thing when I came back to, to the United States, you know, I felt, gosh, you know, here in the West, it's like we're individuals. So each one of us does what we want, how we want, but, you know, but th- there, there was much more of a feeling of you are part of a community and uh, it's very important to contribute to the community. Yeah, working together and thing. what you do impacts so, another. Think, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. So I can see how that really deepened your spiritual path in a, in a big way. And uh, I'm sure that you had some amazing experiences during those meditative times, but we'll, we'll leave that for, for another time, I'm sure. Um, I went to the church for many years and I don't remember a single sermon on the, the ramifications of, of eating animals. We'd have the Sunday sermon and we'd go outside and we'd have the church barbecue with the beef burgers and the sausages, me included. And you just don't think about it. It's like you're in a kind of a stupor. But I think if we want to be successful on the spiritual path, we do need to to purify our consciousness. Um, So how best can we do that? You know, considering that we we can't seem to have this veil over, over us. Well, that you're right. I mean, that's very uh, profound what you just said because uh, we don't really uh, understand in our society because our parents and teachers and all the institutions in our society when we're children really are not equipped to help us use the beautiful instrument of our mind and our body very well. I don't think. I mean, we're 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 taught to use it to compete and to try to make an impression on other people, to use and manipulate other people as instruments and to get what we want and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the, uh, the purification idea, uh, we're not really taught to really you know, read labels on foods and, and be uh, careful about where things come from and what kind of labor went into them, what kind of chemicals went into them. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I know in the in the teachings, like spiritual teachings, especially in Buddhism, but I think in really all spiritual teachings, there's a big emphasis on purification of toxins. And the toxins can be negative emotions, they can be negative uh, attitudes, yeah. uh, they can be delusions, misunderstandings, they can be pride and so forth. Uh, they can also be the physical toxins that we've taken in through the poisons that cause our body 
to be uh, low on energy and painful and irritable and you know, all these things. So what I found is that, that by fasting and eating an organic whole food plant-based diet, uh, the body gets much stronger, much cleaner, much healthier. The mind feels uh, a lot happier. Uh, I think we know now that when we do that, we have an inner community. It's called the microbiome. It's a lot of you know, trillions of bacteria that live inside of us that digest all our food. They get much more harmonious and that actually contributes to the sense of, of well-being that we have. And, and so all these things work together holistically and then we're not eating, you know, terror and pain. We're not causing it when we take out our wallet and pay for animal-based foods that are causing animals to be harmed and abused. You know, all these things work together. Uh, but the main thing I think really is purification. I mean, it's actually uh, tremendously uh, healing to detoxify our body and our mind so that we're radiating in a sense something positive you know there's this big uh, concern now about contagion you know that we're all you know we're going to make somebody else sick if we get too close to them you know the idea that we're all somehow uh carriers of disease and in the in the really the buddhist tradition you're it's just the opposite the more we detoxify the more we become carriers of healing Mm -hmm. carriers of kindness, carriers of compassion, carriers of well-being. So when we meet others, we make them happier and healthier because mm -hmm. we have that ourselves. And I think that's the kind of focus that uh, as vegans, we should be cultivating. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that leads in nicely to my, my next question I have for you about this, this energy um, that we can pass between each other and also from animals to us as well. So I know that in the World Peace Diet, you mentioned that institutionalized violence towards animals, humans, and the planet um, is generated at its, at its core by the killing of animals for food. Um, so perhaps you could unpack that for us. Why does killing animals for food necessarily lead to institutionalized violence what are the mechanics that might be involved there? And I guess we're talking again on this energy level. Well, actually, right. We're talking on the energy level, but, but, but not more than that. I mean, it's more than energy. It's actual, uh, there's two levels. I mean, the, the, level, the physical level of animal agriculture literally is massively violent. It, it's, it's it, you know, and I just briefly, uh, we're cutting down rainforests at about three acres per second in the Amazon. I mean, that's really violent. We're just cutting down, you know, clear-cutting rainforests. Mm -hmm. That's destroying habitat for unknown billions of, of living beings and causing the largest mass extinction uh, uh, you know, in, in 65 million years and the loss of genetic diversity. Uh, you can't, in destruction of indigenous communities, uh, this, this is really violent. We're killing two, between two and three trillion fishes every year. Uh, that if you put them, if you connected them, you know, sort of uh, in a line, that would be uh, go all the way from the earth to the sun. I and mean, that's, that's a lot of killing. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a massive amount of killing of the animals, yeah. destruction of ecosystems, overfishing of the oceans, uh, destruction of aquifers and groundwater, pollution of water, overuse of pesticide, herbicide, and fungicide residues that are killing bird and insect and bee and, and uh, fish populations, uh, massive monocropping of grains, 
that in a wasteful system that concentrates wealth in the hands of a tiny elite that causes a, almost a billion people to starve every year because we grow so much food that we feed to animals while people go hungry, leading to food shortages and war, ca causing whole armies of our brothers and sisters not only to go hungry, but a lot of them have to work in slaughterhouses and factory farms uh, where they stab animals all day or impregnate them against their will on uh, rape racks, yeah. kill bait, uh, kill the offspring, you know, the, just the, the firstborn babies. And so uh, these workers have the highest rates of injury and drug abuse, alcoholism. We're talking about m the most violent thing. And then we're eating all that, uh, to the toxins that concentrate in that. So it's violent to our physical body. So animal agriculture is by far the most literally violent, destructive, devastating activity because it's not just extremely violent, it's big. It's the largest thing we're doing. We're talking about an industry that, re that reaches into every nook and cranny of our planet and of our mm -hmm. society. So that's, that's the physical level, <clears throat> which uh, is important. But then there's the uh, psychological and social level where as little kids sitting at the table eating these foods, we're being taught a whole set of attitudes that create not only violence, but create a mentality of disconnectedness and loss of empathy, which lead to more violence. So that's even worse. It's like the violence against the landscape of our consciousness. There's violence against the landscape of the earth, but against our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Some of those attitudes, for example, number one, one of the most important ones is the attitude of disconnectedness. Every meal is teaching us disconnect. Don't make the connection. Just We're just eating a hot dog. We're just eating cheese. Yes. Don't think about the cow or the pig or the chicken, the being or the people or you know, the ecosystem. You just, we learn with every single meal. And this is the most profound ritual in any society, our meals. This is how our entire our worldview is transmitted through the rituals uh, and ma mainly through eating. Mm -hmm. So this is something that goes right into the very cells of our body. We're eating these attitudes of disconnectedness and the capacity to make connections is really intelligence. That's the defi definition of intelligence. So it's, it's eroding our cultural intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it's a mentality of privilege and elitism because again, the subtext of every meal is that certain beings are inherently superior. And it's fine for the superior beings to destroy and, and, um, and, and exploit the inferior beings. It's a mentality of commodification of life, of turning beings into commodities and spying and selling them by the pound. And how, how incredibly violent and abusive that is, that attitude. So it's a small step from that to doing the same thing to other people and to ecosystems. And it's a mentality of the domination of the sacred feminine dimension of life and consciousness where the female is turned into a mere breeder to be used and sexually abused and, and then eating that. So mm -hmm. really, I mean, this is, this is, uh, these are the realities. And then, as you say, there's the energy level where we're, we're eating, we're causing, we're eating terror and fear and pain and despair and anxiety and panic and yeah. all those things and building this beautiful, really our, our one, um, temple in the sense of, mm. of the spirit, our physical body. Yeah. And you would think we would be very careful mm -hmm. uh, to build that temple with bricks that uh, are bricks of love and, and, and abundance and kindness and compassion, but yes. no, we don't. Mm -hmm. And so we don't realize, I don't think, uh, the large degree to which our relationships and our, uh, our politics, our economics, uh, our institutions 
mm -hmm. uh, reflect the, the violence that we're causing to animals. And it, it really, I think, shows that um, on, the, on the positive side, as we change our food and wake up from this, we can begin to really positively change our entire society and yeah. become more spiritually awake and more in harmony ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's far reaching, as you say. It's killing on just a scale that we can't even imagine. Yes. It's, it's so huge. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I know from my own studies that um, um, uh, a meal that's high in meat protein will affect the tryptophan levels in the brain. And the body uses tryptophan to create serotonin and melatonin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Melatonin, we know, um, helps the wake-sleep cycle function correctly. And serotonin affects our mood, doesn't it? And if, if that is low, then that will have an impact on our mood. It will tend to make us more anxious, <clears throat> a little bit more, even maybe aggressive as well. So definitely what we eat does affect our mood and our behavior. Whereas when we eat a diet, primarily you know, plant-based diet, then that's going to give us more optimal levels of serotonin, which will help to stabilize our mood. So it, it is all very interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. So well, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, thank you yeah. for sharing that. And I think also, I just want to say quickly, um, besides those hormonal levels, there's also, I think, the, the psychological uh, component, because if we're eating foods that come from animals, we just kind of eat and we without thinking deeply and without go, you know, going deeply into our connection or feeling our connection with the earth and what we're eating. Mm -hmm. But if we're eating plant-based foods, it's much easier to, to, to conceive of the, the apple and the rice and the, you know, the different foods we're eating that they're, we're eating what it is. And mm -hmm. so we feel more like we're part of a benevolent unfolding of abundance rather than part of a killing machine where we don't want to think about that. We just want to, Stay, stay shallow. And I think that's a tremendous wound um, that we all carry, which can, like you say, make us more anxious in general. Uh, just we don't feel like we're really at home on this earth because we're, we're agents of violence and the animals are terrified that we're going to harm them all the time. Yes, yes. It's a shame, isn't it, that the animals out in the wild, they tend to run away from you. And yes. at, when I go on my morning walks, I would just love it if they would come to me. And I have had deer come to me. And I've had little birds get quite close, but I think, oh, it could be such a different world if we, if they knew that we, we loved them and we didn't mean them any harm, we could have a much closer, more loving um, relationship with them. It's, you know, it's sad that that's not, not there at the present, but hopefully in the future, as we turn and as we raise in our consciousness, that that will have an impact upon the animals around us. And they will sense it because they're very sensitive, aren't they? Um, right. They, they know, don't they, what, what's, what's in your heart. I think they can pick that up quite, quite readily. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. I was just in fact talking to a friend of mine who was, who was relaying how uh, in, a, in a book that came out, I remember the book, it came back, out back in the 19, I think it was back in the 1970s, Mm -hmm. um, psychic experiments behind the Iron Curtain where um, they had a, a mother rabbit and her little baby rabbit and they, and they took the little baby rabbit from the mother rabbit mm -hmm. and put the baby rabbit in a submarine 
and took it off like 4,000 miles away deep into the ocean. And then they had the two, um, mo- the two animals monitored. Right. And then at one point they did a terrible thing, which they just killed the baby. Mm-hmm. But what they were amazed to see was that at the moment that they killed the baby rabbit, as they monitored the mother thousands of miles away, at that moment, her brainwave pattern suddenly leaped right. as she mm-hmm. emotionally or at some level could feel something had just happened right then. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, mm-hmm. and I've seen myself, I've, I've seen when I've dealt with animals, they are tuned in in ways that we uh, perhaps don't, you know, I think we have the potential, but we've covered it over, but they're, they're more tuned in in many ways yeah. than we are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, I'd like to talk now about backyard chickens, because I know on my food journey that I gave up meat and fish and dairy, but I continued to eat eggs for a while because I have backyard chickens and I love them and I don't kill them to eat. And once they stop laying their eggs, I continue to feed them so that they can live out their full lives. So I, at that point, didn't see anything wrong with eating their eggs. So I continued to eat them. And it wasn't actually until I read your book that my eyes were opened to what was going on there with backyard chickens. So perhaps you could speak a little to that. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think the main thing we have to realize is that animals have a purpose. And chickens, for example, as a species, lived for millions and millions of years and thrived in the jungles of Southeast Asia. And that's where they, that's where they're, they are actually still to this day, they're still, you know, living in the forests of Southeast Asia. And at one point, of course, people thought they tasted good and they gave eggs and all this. So they were sort of violently taken out of that habitat and taken into, you know, farther and farther away to Europe and to, you know, now the United States and all over the place. And so they've been taken out of their natural habitat. And uh, of course, there's probably no animal that's more abused than the, than the chicken on this planet in terms of being confined and killed for meat and for eggs. And uh, a lot of people ask that question. Well, you know, my neighbor has uh, a, few, a few hens and I, you know, I, I buy the eggs and that's okay, right? Because they love their, you know, they, she loves her uh, hens and that kind of thing. And Personally, uh, I think it's good to remind ourselves that these animals are really not being, able, being allowed to live the life that they're designed for. You've got, instead of, for example, uh, an, a holistic or integral kind of community in the jungle, you've got a few females with no males who, to fertilize the eggs. So already that's a very artificial situation. Their basic sovereignty is taken from them because... And now they're dependent on us for protection, very often for food, for everything else. And so we've, we've put them in an extremely artificial uh, environment. And of course they do the best they can, but it's, it is a situation basically of exploitation of the dominant, the, being of a dominator dominating others for their, and for my own good. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unequal kind of relationship. It's a relationship really based on violence and slavery. And the fact that we can't see that, the fact that most people just are completely oblivious to that, 
what it shows is how much we ourselves have become slaves ourselves, how much we have lost our sovereignty. If we really had a strong sovereignty in our lives, we would, it would be obvious. We would be repulsed by, by the whole thing, mm -hmm. but we just think, Oh, that's okay. You know, because we have become farmed ourselves. We, we ourselves have, uh, have become in many ways and are I think increasingly becoming livestock uh, in, in certain ways where we're being exploited as we exploit. That's one of the main teachings I have in the world peace diet. I call it the boomerang effect and what we do to others, we end up experiencing ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is to just, do the best we can. It's not to blame anyone or shame anyone or criticize or anything. It's just to see all of us have been wounded. We've been born into a society where we're eating meat, dairy, and eggs, where we have neighbors and friends, as well as in businesses, you know, confining animals and killing them and eating them and feeding it to us as children and rationalizing and justifying. We have all these narratives, all these stories, and they're inside of us. And we tell them to ourselves because my mother, I have to trust my mother, my father, my minister, my teacher, they, my doctor, they all told me the same story so they yeah. must be right yeah. Yeah. so it, you know it, it's just it's just it's just a, again it's not to criticize it's just to realize how far we have strayed as a culture away from our natural uh, intelligence and integrity and respectfulness mm -hmm. and to hopefully begin to come back again and realize the good news which is that there are no nutrients that we need to be healthy that we have to imprison animals in order to get yeah yeah and i suppose just looking at it logically, an egg is not really designed for a human to eat. You know, an egg is, is going to be a, a baby chick, you know, if it was fertilized. So it's, its primary reason for being is not to be on my plate, you know. So just looking at it from that perspective, you can see that there's something wrong there. But again, it's this veil that's over our eyes and we don't, we don't think like that. Um, yeah. That's very well said. Yeah, the, the veil has been put over our eyes, really, all of us, in a very deep way, and it continues to be. Um, so we have to actively, we have to actively take responsibility for removing the veil. I think mean, each one of us, because the veil has is put in as, as soon as we're born, probably before we're born, when we're still in our mother's womb, we're getting these foods and we're getting the rationalizations and the feelings and all those things. So we're just we're just in, completely indoctrinated. And it's the greatest gift I think we can give to, to other human beings, to animals, to the world is to make an effort to remove that veil. Mm -hmm. So we see clearly mm -hmm. what actually are the consequences of animal agriculture to ourselves, to animals, to ecosystems, to future generations, yeah. and realize basically the more we completely abandon animal agriculture, the more we're on a foundation for actual liberty and freedom and happiness for ourselves and for animals and for all of us, because we're all interconnected. Yeah, so and, it'll be that boomerang effect, but it'll, it'll be peace coming back to us instead right. of violence coming back to us. Yeah, once we understand these things, um, you know, we can take steps to, you know, to be that person, to be the change that we want to see in the world. So it's all about raising our consciousness, which we've already spoken to, isn't it? So are you, are you hopeful that with the rise of veganism and those following a plant-based diet, are you hopeful that one day the raising of animals for food will come to an end? Do you see that in well, the future? Right. I mean, I do say in the World Peace Diet that these definitely are the last days of eating animals. And it'll be either because 
we continue on this path, and, and I, you know, I don't like to say it, think about it, but as we, if we continue on the path of animal agriculture and we don't stop, our violence towards those animals is going to, is boomeranging more and more relentlessly and in larger and larger and more powerful ways to, to the point where we are going to go, we'll go extinct or we'll nearly extinct and we won't even know why it happened. I mean, we're, 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 we've got nuclear weapons, we've got massive mm-hmm. problems here with what we're doing to the environment and to our health and to our uh, social health. So either, mm-hmm. either that way, or I like to think what we can do is to awaken out of this and evolve, as you're saying, to a, mm-hmm. a, a wiser and more compassionate and more holistic way of living where we just realize that, you know, for some reason, all of us were uh, wounded by being uh, essentially uh, given these orders, essentially, you know, that you have to eat animal foods to get protein, not eat animal foods, to get yeah. calcium, you have to do it to be part of our tribe. Mm-hmm. That that's just not true. It's just wrong. It's false. It's, it's a deceptive. We're being, de- yeah. we've been deceived. Yeah. We've been fooled by our society. We don't, there's no one to blame. It's just it's just a wrong program. Mm-hmm. So if we change that, and, and we have to do it ourselves, we can't expect someone else to do it because it's not coming from outside. It has to come from inside of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each one of us does that and then does what you're doing, which is to then share this with other people through cooking classes, through social media, through making videos, having conversations, you know, however we can do it, just keep spreading this message mm-hmm. and it's gathering momentum. It is gaining traction. We are waking up. If we can do it quickly enough, that's the question. We can perhaps avoid um, that scenario of, of destructiveness and actually move into a more wise and loving and compassionate way of living on the shift. It's definitely possible. I still feel that there's nothing objectively stopping us from that. It's just the inertia and the momentum that's carrying us on. Uh, and there, and it is, of course, there is a uh, a certain portion of the population that gets wealthy, unfortunately, on war and disease. Mm. But the but us, the, the 99.999% of the people, we're much better off eating a plant-based diet and being healthy and mm. cultivating kindness. I think uh, we're, we, we are awakening now and yeah. it is happening, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a critical time for sure. Yes, yes. And your book is really pivotal in this because as I said in the introduction, it's far more than a diet book. It really goes into all of this, the whole culture of eating. So um, it, it really, it changed me enormously reading that book. It was, it was such an eye-opening experience. And I know that the people listening to this, uh, you know, they, they've been led here at this time, uh, you know, on their journey in life. So hopefully they'll get to, to, read, to read your book and have the same eye-opening experience. Yeah, and it's certainly getting easier and easier for people to, to go vegan because there seems to be new brands in the supermarkets almost every week, you know. I think people are beginning to realize there's, money to be made on this now because people are turning this way so there's more and more choice available for people making it easier and also on the not too distant um, horizon not too far away there's lab-grown cultured meat in the making can you tell us about this and what are your thoughts on that right well thank you you know that's a really good point we have uh, so many uh, plant-based alternatives now 
uh, already available and they're really growing very quickly and uh, as well as um, as restaurants and so forth that offer alternatives and I think that's it's like a snowball that the faster it goes the faster it goes you know the more people go vegan the more people go vegan it just it just builds it's so um, but regarding the uh, the introduction of actual animal flesh that's made in a laboratory uh, I, I you know I'm a little bit skeptical of that on just in the sense that it gives a double message that we that we still should eat meat <laughs> animal flesh mm -hmm. and um, so uh, already see the thing that I think is interesting is that already even right now uh, just up from from plants um, we can create uh, products like uh, burgers and mm -hmm. uh, whatever you know different kinds of um, cold cuts and, and all that kind of stuff, cheese, that is extremely ice cream, extremely uh, popular. Mm -hmm. And that even experts who, who are, you know, food critics and taste, they can't tell the difference. They, they, they blindfold the people and say, you know, which one is the chicken and which one is the vegan chicken? And they, mm -hmm. half the time they get it wrong. They can't tell. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think uh, we're already there in a sense. I mean, we, 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 we have these substitutes. I think healthier than those things are eating actual grains and beans and vegetables and for sort of, you know, whole foods, but mm -hmm. those are great foods for transitioning. You know, if somebody is really wants to have that taste of meat uh, or cheese in their mouth while they transition, then we should have something that'll help them to do that. Mm. Uh, but eating, you know, creating actual, um, meat, or, and I think there's another company creating actual, uh, like cheese, you know, sort of lab grown cheese. that's actually the same yeah. uh, as cow cheese. Um, those things, um, they don't excite me, I guess, be par partly because, uh, they reinforce this idea mm. of, of, an, you know, that we somehow should be eating animal foods. Mm. And, um, also, I, from the technical point, I've, I've heard people, some people think it's the greatest thing, you know, and, and I can understand that. Um, but there's a, a certain uh, technical problem is with, with, with growing these things in a lab because um, they have to, everything has to be uh, really clean in a certain way that you could easily introduce um, dangerous uh, kinds of things into these foods. So mm -hmm. I think um, on the long run, getting away from high tech, gigantic, multi-million dollar laboratories that are creating these foods that yeah. like, people call Franken foods, then go back to some more simple potatoes, sweet potatoes, wheat bread uh, mm -hmm. and um, vegetables and and, and these kinds of foods, these are the, real, the foods that our bodies are used to eating for yeah. hundreds of thousands of years. And mm -hmm. uh, I think ultimately is the healthiest. So uh, that's, that's, so I'm not promoting that, although mm -hmm. I'm certainly willing to mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of see what happens and mm -hmm. see if it does help mm -hmm. people to transition. I, I'm not really sure if it will. Yeah, I guess the, the positive is that the animals are not harmed and they don't have to be killed. Sure. But it's still right. animal protein. It's still, you know, high saturated fats. It's still all of that kind of thing. So well, that's the other thing. You've got all the health problems. You've still got, 
uh, is at, you know, acidifying inflammatory animal protein, saturated fat, cholesterol. I mean, you've got stuff that's sort of in there mm. already. So people are still going to need their quadruple heart bypass if they eat a lot. Of that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a huge problem. Yeah. I think. So best yeah. to stick with the, the basic plants. And if you're transitioning, right. go for those plant-based meats, you know, the, the deli meats, you can get uh, a crumble, you can get, as you say, burgers, sausages, all made just from plants. And they're great for people transitioning because as you yeah. said, sometimes you can hardly tell the difference. So why right. would you <laughs> give it a one really, you know, There's some that are good, like uh, sun burgers, one that's made from organic uh, sunflower seeds. It's very, very uh, clean, healthy kind of a thing. Uh, some are a little more, uh, you, you know, uh, factory farm. I mean, not factory farm, but factory produced. Right. Uh, and I think it's it's good to read labels and mm. just to try to eat foods that are uh, minimally processed, basically. Yeah. So pick your brands and look at the labels. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I think that was fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights with us. And um, just as a reminder to everybody, I am going to put the links to Dr. Tuttle's website, his publications and book in the description. So be sure to check that out later. So thank you so much, Dr. Tuttle. I, I really appreciate you being my first guest. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. It's been an honor to be your first guest and, and uh, much uh, gratitude to everyone go forth and uh, multiply the message. Let's all do the best we can to be part of the solution rather than being part of the problem. And we can envision a world where uh, we're living as we're intended to on this beautiful earth and being part of a harmonious unfolding of life here. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, for sure. Okay, bye-bye for now. Peace out.